The following is a production of SAK Digital Ventures. Welcome to Cigars and Sports Chicago, a place where you can sit back, relax, smoke a cigar, and talk about Chicago sports. Now, here's your host, Steve Cass. Welcome to Cigars and Sports Chicago, Episode 18, Take 2. Why is it Episode 18, Take 2? Because last week, we recorded the first segment, had technical problems, couldn't get the thing figured out. So for the first time in 17 weeks, or maybe 18 weeks, we actually broke our streak, didn't have an episode, we weren't able to post one. Um, But this is Episode 18, Take 2. So welcome to the show. This is the best place for Cigars and Sports Chicago. We are at the place... 5236 Main Street, Downers Grove, Illinois. You know what? No, I'm lying. I'm actually in Tampa, Florida. Phil's at the place, but you know what? I I just don't feel like I should be lying to the audience. I'm still following Chicago sports on a minute-to-minute basis. You can follow us on Twitter, at Cigars and Sports, and you can get this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever the hell you get your podcasts, but you already know that because you're listening to a podcast. So as always, I would like to introduce my co-host phil sullivan and phil what are you smoking how are you doing yeah i'm doing great um you know i'm smoking an alvo heritage this evening so just uh, enjoying that i am uh just got found out i may have to go on the ir list which i'm not looking forward to i have a classic uh pitcher injury with a bad rotator cuff so we're hopefully going to get through it with some uh maybe some amazing drugs and uh maybe a little therapy but uh the surgeon uh, informed me what surgery would be like, and it doesn't sound pleasant. So let's hope we can get through this. And it sounds uh, like it may be a bad, uh, you know, couple of months of golf for you. So I'm very um, sorry yeah, to hear that. Yeah. I know you just got new yeah. clubs. You like golfing. And unfortunately, uh, it looks like you're going to be a little bit little bit screwed up. And let's uh, go to golf. By the way, I'm smoking a La Florida Minicana El Jaco Perfecto number two. I am really, really liking it a lot. So speaking of golf, it would appear that tomorrow at 1023 Central Time that uh, Tiger Woods is going to be uh, teeing off at Augusta playing in the Masters, which if you consider the fact that less than a year and a half ago, the guy had just an absolutely unbelievably bad leg injury with a car in a car accident, a single car accident. We have absolutely no idea why or what he was doing or whatever the case may be. We're not allowed to know that, so it's okay. Um, But pretty surprising and pretty interesting, the interview that he did yesterday where he said that, yes, he believes that he can win and that he also believes that the most difficult part of this thing is going to be walking the course. But I will tell you, I don't care where I am or what I'm doing tomorrow at 1023, which is right around when this podcast will post, I am going to be watching um, Tiger Woods tee off. And should he play well, that's going to be one hell of a story. Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, Tiger Woods is just good for golf. Um, Him being there, him being in any tournament, uh, forget the Tiger Woods story himself. He's good for the game of golf. Uh, I think Tiger Woods has a mission to break Jack Nicholas's record. Um, you know, it's his one accomplishment left in golf, uh, but it is not going to be easy. I believe he's at 14 majors and uh, Nicholas is at 18. Um, but I do recall, this is a quick story. I recall after he came on the scene, and after he won two or three majors very quickly, 
uh, I saw an interview with Jack Nicholas, and they said, well, what do you think of this Tiger Woods guy? You know, if anybody's going to soar past your record, it's going to be this guy. And Nicholas just, you know, as polite of a man and gentleman as he always has been, he just put a little smirk on, and he said, we'll see. It won't be easy. And uh, and it's it's proven out. It won't be easy uh, for whatever all the reasons Tiger's had or anybody. Uh, let's never forget what Jack Nicholas did. Winning 18 majors is just stunning. Tiger's won 15, you know, and it is amazing because certainly you would have thought, if you recall back at the time, I mean, you would have thought that he would have easily gotten 18 majors based on the track that he was on. But we forget that the guy went 10 years without winning a major. And and I think it has a lot to do with injury. I mean, certainly when he had his little issue there, uh, you know, in Florida, when he got busted after, uh, you know, being with every woman that he'd ever met for a 20 year period, that sort of, you know, set him back from a timing standpoint. Although the guy's never really done anything particularly terrible. It's just that he had set himself up as the perfect human before that. But but anyway, I think it's going to be really difficult for him to win any more majors, but it's just going to be so interesting to see how he plays because the guy is so competitive. There is absolutely no way in hell that he would be playing in this in this golf tournament if he didn't think that he was going to represent himself extremely well. Well, if you if you look at the Masters, you know, it's the only tournament that's always played on the same course. And you'll notice that you know, especially the winners that get to automatically play in the tournament every year. They don't have to qualify or do anything. Uh, you'll notice some of these past uh, winners of the Masters, and I'll, I'll use uh, Freddie Couples as an example. These guys get to 50 years old. It's amazing how many times they're in competition on Sunday because they know that course so well. They know where to put their shots. They know where to go. It's not always about power. Um, and, you know, Tiger is right in that category now. He knows that course well. And he certainly, um, you know, if he can stay a little healthy on it, he could very well compete in this tournament, in my mind. More than any other tournament right now with his health issues, I think he could compete in the Masters. Should be interesting. And we, and obviously he feels that way, which is why he did not skip this tournament. By the way, you really screwed me over with the technical problem last week, Phil, and um, not giving me an opportunity to talk about Will Smith versus Chris Rock. But now it's just too, it's too long ago. We have to let it go. <laughs> But before we um, we go to baseball and talk about actual substantial sports issues, very interesting development in the NFL that has nothing to do with the game, but it's one of my favorite topics. And I was also going to discuss this last week, but I'm just going to discuss it now because I can't let it go. The Buffalo Bills are building a $1.4 billion new football stadium in Orchard Park, New York, but it's not going to have a roof. And by the way, that $1.4 billion is mostly uh, public money, which is pretty shocking in this day and age. If you look at how these stadiums get financed generally by the NFL oligarchs financing their own stadiums. My question is this. Obviously, you know my thought on the low, lower quality of football in bad weather elements. So fine. We don't even really need to talk about that. I do think it's insulting to the fans that you're not giving them, you know, a decent environment where they don't have to sit out in zero degrees. And by the way, in a place that's colder than Chicago. But why in the hell would you build a $1.4 billion public funded building that you can only use three months a year? You can only use it three months a year. What are you gonna have a concert there in December? What? What are you like? Why 
would you do this? And if it costs an extra hundred billion to, to like throw a roof on it, then figure it out. Well, maybe, you know, maybe they did it because they, you know, they just gave Stefan Diggs an extension that is about one tenth the cost of the stadium. So, uh, you know, I, I agree with you, Steve. We've had many discussions regarding dome stadiums and football that, you know, they should pass a law. Every team in the league's got to have a dome stadium, you know, in five years. But, uh, you know, don't put it beyond the Bears when it comes to stupidity of uh, repeating what the Bills done. So, I mean, because then you'll really be screaming when they build their news. Yes, that was my uh, point. If they do that. I will never watch a Bears game again. I mean, certainly I'll never go to the stadium, but I will never watch a Bears game again. That's just too dumb. And I have to be honest, I can't imagine that. And one of the things that the NFL does is that if you build a new building, they guarantee you to get a Super Bowl within three years of that building opening, that's why there was a Super Bowl in Detroit. That's why there was a Super Bowl in Minnesota. So really? You're not even going to get a Super Bowl? Wouldn't you recoup some money if that was your issue? You know, by having a Super Bowl, even if it was only one, I listened on that Odyssey app. I was listening to Buffalo Talk Radio um, the day after that thing. And it was really interesting because somehow I expected people to be calling in and saying, oh, well, I like this because it's Buffalo weather and it's going to give us a home field advantage and all that stuff. And I did hear one guy say that, even though, by the way, the data shows that weather has no correlation with home field advantage. By the way, you may remember that Packers-Niners game in the postseason this year. Um, I believe that uh, the Packers lost on their home field in the frozen tundra of, uh, of Lambeau Field. Most people were calling in completely pissed off that there was not going to be a roof on the building because now they've sort of figured it out where these dome stadiums, a lot of natural light, there's tons of glass. Like if you look at the Minnesota place or, you know, or, or Las Vegas or whatever. And I, I just can't believe they would do that. And I'm glad the Bills fans are, you know, mad about it. And who knows, maybe they'll change direction. But I had to bring that up. Yeah, I don't blame you. And, and what did you think of the little point I just talked about? We'll touch briefly on that before we get off the NFL because it's not the NFL season right now. But that Stefan Diggs contract extension, I thought, uh, you know, it was pretty impressive. I mean, it puts him uh, just behind your buddy Tyreek Hill, uh, I believe, uh, almost right up there with him. It's the second highest paid receiver in the NFL. It's it's a lot of money. They should go out the bills and, think- and sign Odell Beckham. I think that the you know these teams in the AFC West and obviously just based on and Buffalo also signed Von Miller they're the team that should go out and sign OBJ even if he's not ready until halfway in the season because i think the thing you do in the NFL now is go get these veterans go over the top go overboard and go for it in one year and you know the bills have been this team it's been unable to get over the hump and yes the guy is really good. That's a lot of money. And certainly that sets the standard. The standard has now been set with those three contracts for wide receivers in the NFL. And, uh, you know, it's only going to get, it's only going to get more. Yeah. There's, there's no doubt about it. Let's go to baseball. Well, it's baseball season and I can't wait for baseball to start. Yes, it is. Uh, well, opening day in the major leagues will be on Thursday, although ironically, several games have already been postponed by rain in advance, which I thought was. Well, kind of going back to your rant on NFL Dome Stadiums, you know, I've got a little rant on baseball. 
every game in the first two to three weeks of baseball should be played south of the Mason-Dixon line. And uh, that's just my opinion on that. Some of this weather that these teams start in is absolutely ridiculous. I don't know if that works from a scheduling standpoint. You know, I don't know that there's enough teams that, you know, haven't scientifically looked at it. Well, it's certainly a knee-jerk statement I just made, but it... uh, I would also argue that all those teams are going to have to play, you know, a month of road games in September, which I don't think they'd be very happy about. I mean, I hear you. They should play, play them at their spring training sites. You know, play some games there and leave them leave them right in their spring training site for a little bit. That's actually not a crazy idea to play. And, you know, and the funny thing is baseball attendance is worse, is, is the worst that it is in April. Um, you also could figure it out and, you know, you could figure out a travel schedule. Certainly you'd have to have some Florida, Arizona travel. There are, by the way, 15 teams in Arizona, 15 teams in Florida. And it's funny, I just looked at that um, the other day because somehow I've been thinking that it had become imbalanced Arizona, but it hasn't. It's 15 and 15. It's oh, just I mean, that. It used to be 20 and 10, but yeah. You take next week, the Sox are going to open up the weather right now. looks like in the 40s. You know, after opening day, there won't be 8,000 fans at a night game in, you know, it sucks. No, I hear you. I think you make an interesting point. And, and the fact that, you know, we played with no fans anyway a couple of years ago, and it's not like the world ended. I don't think it's a crazy idea to suggest that, you know, maybe Everyone does the first two weeks of the regular season in Arizona. It's just, it's not a crazy idea. Plus, you'd probably get a bunch of travel. You know what I mean? Um, Going down there. Phil, that is one hell of an idea. I'd like to congratulate you. I've never thought about that. And it is a perfect idea and probably would make for a better quality product. Um, Although, you know, I am certainly looking forward to um, seeing the White Sox in 39 degrees and freezing rain in Detroit this weekend. Well, I may have to switch to my life rule that I'm trying to implement, and that's no more golf or watching baseball games unless the temperature is higher than my age. So, uh, you know, that being the fact, I'm, I'm, I'm slowly starting to limit myself. But you know. It doesn't get over 100 that often. Yeah. What is your wins prediction for the Chicago White Sox this year? I've got a win prediction on the White Sox. I think definitely north of 90. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put them at about 94, 95. That's my White Sox win prediction. I think the White Sox are probably going to be one of the top five teams in baseball this year. All that, obviously, like every team in baseball, I'm not just picking on the White Sox, all of that predicated on injuries or lack thereof. But uh, talent level, I think the White Sox are a top five team in baseball. I mean, I guess you could make that argument. I mean, I've got them at 88 wins. And interestingly enough, before the Lance Lynn injury, and he will be out for at least the first two months of the season and potentially longer, um, fan graphs had the White Sox at 88 wins as well, which, you know, nothing is more usually accurate than fan graphs. All right, here, I'm going to I'm gonna put you on the spot, Steve. I will have a box of cigar, box of cigar wager from Cigars and Sports. I will take a 90 over and under. You can have the under, I'll take the over. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, I, I hope to be, I, I hope to be wrong. So I hope to, you know, to pay off, but just, I don't know. This rotation, Giolito, Cease, Phil Sullivan, I, I don't know. Like, I mean, that's what that rotation looks like. Well, I think this rotation, staying healthy, uh, you, you've got 
three pitchers, I think, and you might have had four, but unfortunately, the fourth guy's out. And I'm talking Lance Lynn. You got three pitchers that I think could easily have 200 strikeouts this year. I think it could. You could see Giolito, Cease, and Kopech. I think all of them could hit that mark. Okay. Uh, well, uh, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay. So I hear you on Giolito and Cease. I, I think we would be disappointed if they didn't have 200 strikeouts. So let, let's do a little math. How many innings do you think that Michael Kopech, how many innings do you think that two-inning Kopech is going gonna, is gonna to throw this year? I'd hope he gets north of 150. <laughs> He's not going to get 150 innings. He, I'm sure that they're even projecting him best-case scenario at 125 innings. I would say if we're lucky, Kopech may throw – 110 innings something like he's not gonna like 150 innings for for him is impossible like he has shown his durability level is nothing so my take on it is even if he threw 150 innings i mean do you really think he's gonna get a strikeout and a half you know an inning do you think he's gonna strike out half of the guys that he that he gets out or or like you think he's gonna strike out if he throws 100 innings he's gonna strike out two guys an inning I, i don't know and he not only that he hasn't even looked very good. I mean, yesterday he pitched his two innings, looked very pedestrian. I'm very worried about that guy. And here's the thing. As you may remember, I'm the guy who three weeks ago was complaining about the White Sox rotation while they still had Lance Lynn, a guy who would have been the opening day starter had he been on this team. And you can kid yourself that it would have been Giolito or whatever. No, the best pitcher from last year that is on this year's staff was Lance Lynn. And I know that he performed poorly you know, toward the end of the year and in the in the very short-lived postseason. I get it. But he, if you remember, he was in the Cy Young race for most of the season. I'm not saying that Lance Lynn is the world's greatest thing, but the bottom line is, you know, he he is now out for two months. So your rotation is Giolito, Cease. And by the way, love Dylan Cease. Yes, I'm going to go there. He does have the best stuff potentially in baseball, but it hasn't really translated to generating wins. And he certainly misses a lot of bats. I get it. I, I hope that Cease wins a Cy Young. He's the actually the fourth favorite on, on Bet Rivers to win the Cy Young. I, take a breath here. I'm not going down that dark tunnel with you. Well, well, here's the thing. Season. Then we got two winning Giolito. Excuse me, two winning Kopech. Right. Then we got Ronaldo Lopez. And, you know, maybe. Then we got Vince Velasquez. Like I said last week, I'd rather have Vince Vaughn being my fifth starter. Oh, yeah. I didn't mention that we have Dallas Keuchel. And the reason I didn't mention Dallas Keuchel was because of all those guys I just mentioned, including um, Vince Vaughn and Vince Vasquez, of all of those people, the worst one is Dallas Keuchel. He's had like a 200 ERA in spring. After May 1st last year, he was the worst pitcher in baseball that threw more than 100 innings. And as Ozzy would say, he stinks. So I don't know where they're going to get wins. Crochet, who is going to be an important part of that bullpen, he's now gone. I'm just telling you, I am very worried about this pitching. And we're going to be relying on guys like Jimmy Lambert and Vince Vasquez and I, you know, I, I don't know, man. Okay, well, hey, hey, you heard it, you, you heard it here first too. Lucas Giolito, Cy Young. That's uh, great. Uh, I think it's entirely possible. We might as well get a uh, last hurrah out of him before he goes and signs with the Yankees after next year. <laughs> <laughs> right, so, uh, 
what else do you have to say negative about our beloved White Sox, Steve? Well, I do have another thing, actually. Um, we <laughs> we didn't have an opportunity to talk about what I think will turn out to be one of the biggest trades in Major League Baseball, probably over the last decade. And that was the White Sox acquiring future all-star Brian McGuire <laughs> for well, we Zach Collins. We might have to bring Brian McGuire into something we've dropped off our show for the last few episodes is our bizarre story of the week. This could be the bizarre story for a while. It's probably not that bizarre for him, though. So here's the thing. So I feel well, bad. It's, it might not be that bizarre for a lot of guys, but it's still a bizarre story. So let's tell the bizarre story. I'll go over this real quick. And I have to be honest with you, I, I feel a level of sympathy for this guy. Well, I feel pain for him. There's no doubt about it. I mean, you know what? I'm not going to give the long version. I'm going to give the short version. Unfortunately, he seems like a very nice young man. You know, we have a friend of ours that likes to describe perverse behavior, and I would have to um, classify this as, as that. Um, like- Brian McGuire in 2020 during spring training in Florida was sitting in a public parking lot masturbating. He unfortunately was seen doing so by a person who parked next to him. That person called the cops. The cops came and arrested him. He was then charged with indecent public behavior or whatever it is. Uh, he did get a misdemeanor. And if you go and watch the video, it's on YouTube. No, not the video of him doing the act, so you don't have to worry about that, but the video of him being arrested you probably will have, I don't know, some level of compassion for the guy. I believe he said something about the, uh, what did he say? That he, he lives in a small apartment and his roommate never leaves. So he had to, he had to take it on the road. He had to take it on and the then road. The, that's exactly right. And then the funny thing was he interrupted himself and said, I can't believe I'm saying that. The reason that this happened is because I'm an idiot. I'm just an idiot. And he's so like when you hear him and you think that this could this is somebody's son. He's a fine young man, evidently. Otherwise, by the way, I think he went to Notre Dame. That was a joke. Um, but anyway, so so anyway, although uh, AJ Pollock, I believe, went to Notre Dame. Yeah, but I, I was kidding about the Zach Collins Brian McGuire trade that did happen, and actually the guy has looked pretty good in in the last few games. He's gotten some action defensively. He's pretty good. But this AJ Pollock thing, clearly, we needed to move Craig Kimbrell, who's been terrible in spring training. I get that they made basically an equal money move. And got A.J. Pollock, certainly professional hitter, um, right-handed hitter, primarily a left fielder, won a gold glove in center field. I think he'll be able to translate to right fine, although we have to remember that he is an oft-injured left fielder who's going to be playing right, and maybe they'll be able to keep him healthy. But I guess the thing that bothers me a little bit is I am worried about making sure that Vaughn and Sheets get enough playing time. Maybe that's stupid because I do think that Pollock probably does make them a better team. But I just hope that they're able to get enough at bats for Vaughn and Sheets. You know, certainly those guys can DH. Grandal is probably going to be DHing at least once or twice a week. You know, Aloy as well. What do you think of the Pollock trade? And do you have any concerns about playing time for Vaughn and Sheets? And to me, particularly Vaughn, because I don't know, everyone seems to think that he has the potential to be a really good player. And for about two and a half months of the season last year, he was phenomenal. Um, He was he was bad at the end, but he was phenomenal. One thing about it is uh, with Vaughn and with Sheets, with Adam Engel, you know, one angle I looked at, it's certainly going to make 
LaRusse's job, some may say it makes his job easier. I think it's going to make his managerial job difficult. He's got a lot to work with, which is a positive. It's just how does he work with it? Um, it's it's going to be interesting to see how he keeps these guys uh, playing, how he keeps them uh, you know, attuned to the game, and how he mix and matches and puts these players in and out of games. Um, he's got he's going to have to bring all his years and years of managerial skill together, you know, and he's got a very talented team. So I'm going to be interesting this year to see how La Russa manages this amount of talent and how he juggles all those balls. Yeah. I hadn't really thought about La Russa and juggling his balls, but that probably is a really good point that you make there um, because You know, here's the other thing, too, is that you might say, all right, well, Pollock is a right-handed hitter, so certainly that's going to leave a significant opening for Sheets to play against righties, but actually, no, because Pollock is one of those very unusual hitters who has great reverse splits, meaning that he's a right-handed hitter who hits righties almost better than he hits lefties, and he hits them very well. It's actually a career 300 hitter against right-handers. Guess it's all, you know, kind of a rich man's problem, if you will. I mean, having too much talent is not something that you normally complain about. All I'm saying is, I hope they can just get those guys playing time, or I hope they can package one of those guys and then maybe somebody else and make a trade to Oakland and get Frankie Montes because we need another pitcher extremely bad, like extremely bad. Well, and, uh, you know, the other thing, too, with all these players that he's got to juggle, you know, come July 31st, depending on where the Sox are at injury-wise, where they're at in playoff push-wise, they do have a few tools in the bag that they could use, certainly to obtain pitching if they needed it. Yeah, and people are saying, oh, they're going to pick up a pitcher for Mike or Adolfo or something. I mean, give me a break. I mean, these guys, that's the other problem with these guys, whether it be Mike or Adolfo or Jake Berger, who we didn't mention before, or Sheets or Vaughn. These guys are all 25, 26. So they're not prospects, you know. Um, if you're going to move them, you've got to move them probably now. But I guess, again, having too much talent is not something really to complain about. And, you know, I don't know. I just hope that the White Sox can get another pitcher. All right, let's talk about the Cubs now. Nah, forget it. Let's not talk about them. They suck. What's that? Yeah, they do. So I want to talk about Major League Baseball payrolls because it's really something that is blowing my mind. So the Oakland A's have a $33 million payroll. And let me ask you this, Phil. Let me give you a little trivia question. What do Max Scherzer, Corey Seager, Anthony Rendon, Garrett Cole, and Carlos Correa all have in common? They make more money than the Oakland A's. They make more money than the entire (laughs) Oakland A's roster. There are nine teams in the major leagues who have a larger monthly payroll than the A's have an annual payroll. I guess my question is, how in the hell, you know, we just came off this lockout and we're talking about how these players, you know, they didn't want tanking and they wanted more competitive balance or whatever. Really? Great job by them. And if you go back to the original negotiations, the owners offered a salary floor of $100 million, and, and somehow the players thought that was too much like a salary cap because, I mean, think about it. 
You've got these teams like Cleveland, who I, you know, re-signed um, Ramirez today, so they're spending a little more money. You know, they got a $51 million payroll. I'm not even, you know, this isn't even about the A's, and they're $33 million. Pittsburgh's got a $36.8 million payroll. The freaking Baltimore Orioles have a $41 million payroll. So, so look at this. I mean, it's like, so Baltimore's got a $41 million payroll, and the Yankees at the top of the division have a $243 million payroll. Um, the Marlins, well, they're at like 105 actually, and then the uh, you know the Mets are at 270 million. Um, by the way, the White Sox seventh in baseball at 206 um, 206 million. But I guess my question is, like. This doesn't make any sense. I mean, look at the NFL and the NBA and consider the NFL where we all know that the salary cap for next year is 208 million. So every team will be, you know, 205 to 208 million and no wonder you have competitive games. I mean, how can you have a 30 million and a 250 million dollar team in the same it's like a different level of baseball. Right. There's no competitiveness in that aspect at all. And and they can't compete. It's, you know, like you said, with the lockout and, you know, that the, the players supposedly said they wanted it to be competitive. Um, it, you know, it's not going to happen. I mean, the the poster child, Chris Bryant, uh, for all that is uh, it's all you got to talk about. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And they right. talk about and they only have 127 million uh, payroll with Chris Bryant. And. I mean, you talk about the expanded playoffs, you know, and you got 12 teams in the playoffs now and you're worried because it's too many teams or whatever. It's actually more teams than you think. It's not two. It's not 12 teams out of 30. The A's are not in any way, shape or form trying to make the playoffs. OK, so they ain't making the playoffs. Um, Arizona ain't making the playoffs. Pittsburgh's not making the playoffs. Neither is Cleveland, um, or neither is at a minimum Baltimore. So there's there's five teams right there. There is no possible way they are making the playoffs unless there's a lot of plane crashes on team planes. You know, I mean, and that's not even intended to be a joke. I'm just, it's just, it's not happening. They're not even trying to make it happen, and you know. They need to sit down maybe in between collective bargaining agreements when there's not, you know, so much pressure and get together and fix it because this whole system in baseball is broken. Now, I know that this is what, you know, you were talking about this in a different context, you know, recently about baseball being broken, but this is a pretty fundamental piece because I don't know how excited you can get um, about baseball if you live in Pittsburgh and you know that every year you're going to have one of the three lowest payroll teams in baseball and that there is literally no chance whatsoever of you making the playoffs because they're not even trying. Well, you're right. There's no doubt about it. So it, it does limit the playoff teams. And then you look at, you know, you look at the divisions, which the, I thought this was kind of interesting. The NL Central, 663 million. These are combined divisional payrolls. NL Central, 663 million. AL Central, 693 million. NL West, 721 million. AL East, 846 million. AL West, 948 million. And the NL East, 967 million. But think about this. You've got 50% more dollars being spent 
in the NL East than you do in the NL Central. And it's not that much different between the AL Central and the AL West. I mean, it's like they're playing in a different league. How can you even do that? And what in the hell were these players talking about when they were saying they didn't want teams tanking. I mean, they didn't. They didn't want. Um, they didn't want a salary floor. And they, and it's not even like they had to negotiate for it. They were offered a salary floor. And if you look at teams that are under a hundred million, that would have meant these teams, the Orioles, would have had to spend fifty-nine million more. The Marlins would have had to spend twenty-four million more. That you know, Pittsburgh, where you're talking about seventy-four million, but this is how under a hundred million. Kansas City is thirteen million under a hundred million. Seattle's under a hundred million. Um, they, we talked about the A's; they're under hundred million. Diamondbacks are under hundred million. Like all of these teams, I mean, what the, these players? they are, they are, I I don't even know what they're trying to do. I mean, I think it would have even been better from them from a money standpoint, had they done that. So I don't know. I just needed to get that out. Well, you got enough. So there we go. Um, But, you know, back to the, you know, the season getting started. Um, I wanted to ask you what you thought of uh, the Dodgers, you know, the Dodgers getting uh, Freddie Freeman from Atlanta. You know, there's a team that was already loaded. Um, they should destroy the National League, in my opinion. Well, there's a number of good teams in the National League. That said, I think if you take a look at the Dodgers, their lineup is absolutely ridiculous. They may have the best lineup that man has ever seen. If you consider the guys, I mean, it's just absolutely ridiculous. And just going off the top of my head, think about this. Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, Trey Turner, Max Muncie as the DH, Justin Turner, Will Smith, Chris Taylor, Cody Bellinger and Gavin Lux. I mean, that that is just that is just a murderer's row lineup. They have pitching as well. Yeah, they got that Walker Bueller. Uh, there's a guy that could definitely win a Cy Young. You know, and he's going to be, you know, you've pushed Clayton Kershaw to a number two guy. I mean, it's crazy. Well, yeah, he's sort of a he's sort of a bonus. Um, right. And not to mention, you know that once they get past the eighth inning, there's no way they're ever going to lose a game because they're going to have the great Craig Kimbrell coming out of that bullpen. And he's going to shut that thing down. Other day, gave up four runs in a third of an inning and uh, two home runs on two consecutive pitches. So, I mean, he's certainly looking good. I mean, and I think he had a 97 ERA in spring training. So, Kimbrell's looking good. Yeah, I think they got him so when they have this seven, eight run lead in the eighth inning to just hold it about two runs and uh, then they'll be fine. But uh, they could be a team that pulls off 110 wins. There's no doubt in my mind. No, they won't because there's if you look at that, it's it's about these dumb divisions. I mean, look at look at the division. I mean, they're not going to win 110 games when they get the Giants, you know, when they get the Padres, um, and then they've got you know the great Colorado Rockies in there. I'm just joking, but you know, Colorado and, and Arizona stink, but. I, I think you've got enough good teams in there that I think it's really difficult. I mean, the team that may win a lot of games, frankly, d- just the, the division that they're in, um, is is potentially the Cubs. Right? Meaning that the Cubs stink. Their rotation is horrendous. And by the way, if the Cubs were in a normal division, 
um, they probably would lose 100 games. But I just don't think that they're going to be as bad as we think they are from a record standpoint, um, you know, unfortunately, because they're just in this horrifying division with a bunch of teams like the Pirates and the Reds. And, you know, I mean, the Cardinals stink. The Brewers are okay. Like these teams aren't even trying to win. And we already talked about it's the lowest payroll division in baseball. So they may not look as bad as they actually are. So I don't think 110 wins. I mean, I understand they're a really good team, but I just think that based on the competition in the division, I think it's going to be really difficult. Well, uh, yes, and that's definitely pushing it. You know, like the old saying goes, every team's going to win 60 and lose 60. It's what they do with the other 42. That makes a difference. So So the Bulls backed into the top six last night. They made the playoffs. I guess we got to take that. It is a little weird saying that after they were leading the Eastern Conference for a significant chunk of the season. I think the most amazing statistic, and maybe everybody has heard at this point, do you know what the Bulls' record is against the top three teams in both conferences this year? Uh, Three and 12. You obviously think very highly of the Bulls. It's 0-18. Against the top three teams in the Eastern and Western Conference, they played 18 games. They have lost all 18. And most of them, if you go through the scores, they lost by, you know, more than 10 points. I mean, they weren't even close. So it appears right now that they're, you know, it's not settled yet, but they're going to play either the, and now these teams are going to probably go into rest mode, but they're going to play um, either Boston or Milwaukee. And um, I mean, I get, you know, Boston's got some injuries. They may be able to win a game or two against them. Um, maybe, but um, I would say that it's probably a pretty good bet unfortunately for the bulls to get swept in the playoffs and you know the another piece of news this week alonzo ball is uh you know he's out for the year which i don't think it's a big surprise unfortunately but uh what are your you have any optimism for the bulls in the playoffs uh zero uh the bulls are if they play milwaukee they should just the league should just let them have the option to forfeit the series and just let milwaukee move on but uh yeah you know the bulls their injury bug this year was as bad as it could be. Uh, they did certainly have a lot of promise when the season started, but boy, oh boy, they, they just, like you said, against the better teams, it wasn't even close this year. So, yeah, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to have, they're going to have to, uh, they're going to have to regroup for next year. There's no doubt about it. Well, I'm not sure what, and it's hard to figure. I mean, clearly they need to get more size, but I've got this problem, this nagging thing that I l- think about laying in bed at night, which is no comment on that, but that I that I think about. Don't do a McGuire. The fact that, no, I'm not. The fact that Zach Levine, they're going to have to sign him to a max contract um, in order to retain him. And, and I, you know what? I, I hate to say this in public. But I just don't know if Zach Levine, I mean, I want Zach Levine on the team, but I just don't know if he's a max contract kind of a guy. And that's the only way you can retain him, because if you don't sign to a max contract and you just let him go out there, somebody else is going to sign him to, you know, the, the free agent max contract, meaning you can give him an extra year to retain your own player. So they will, ne- you know, they never leave. But I don't know, man. I mean, do you really... I, I don't know how I feel about a $40 million a year, Zach Levine. I guess that's just what it's going to be, though. Any thoughts on that? I mean, do you? Uh, 
you know, I don't know what you do with him. I mean, you're right. Uh, is he going to, is he the piece that's going to take him to the promised land? I don't think so. But, um, you know, they need, they need pieces like that. There's no doubt about it, but they've got a lot, they got a lot to do in the off season. They're, they're, that team, uh, as good as it could be, um, certainly they got to do a little adjusting to it. Well, they need, they need some size. I mean, that's yeah. really, that's really what they need. They need some size and they probably need some better three point shooting. Um, I mean, you can never have enough three point shooting and clearly, you know, losing Lonzo ball hurt him a little bit there. Um, Kobe white cannot, you know, hit the, you know, cannot, how does that saying go? Cannot throw a ball into the ocean or something. I don't even know what that saying is, but he can't, that guy can't make a shot. Um, but they need some more three point shooting. Um, and I guess we're just going to have to see how it goes. Unfortunately, we've traded all of our first-round picks for the next decade to get to the playoffs this year. But you know, you got to give the Bulls credit; they had an improved year. You know, they had a they had a decent record. You know, they're they're making the playoffs, so we'll take it. It was a better year this year, but certainly work to be done. And unfortunately, their best player, um, you know, Demar Derozan, is 32 years old, going to be. 33. So I don't know how many more years we're going to get out of him. So if we're going to try to win with DeMar, um, we're going to have to start winning pretty fast. So Phil, that's it. That's it for um, episode 18B of Cigars and Sports Chicago. Over and out. See you next week. Yes, it's been fun. It's been real. And we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Talk to you. She had to come up soon for care. Sweet blossom, come on under the willow. We can have high times if you look back. We can discover the wonders of nature. Rolling in the brushes down by the riverside.